section thirty five of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine continued oliver goldsmith seventeen twenty eight seventeen seventy four because the deserted village is one of the most familiar poems in our language goldsmith is generally given a high place among the poets of the romantic dawn but the village when we read it carefully turns out to be a rhymed essay in the style of pope's famous essay on man it owes its popularity to the sympathetic memories which it awakens rather than to its poetic excellence it is as a prose writer that goldsmith excels he is an essayist with addison's fine polish but with more sympathy for human life he is a dramatist one of the very few who have ever written a comedy that can keep its popularity unchanged while a century rolls over its head but greater perhaps than the poet and essayist and dramatist is goldsmith the novelist who set himself to the important work of purifying the early novel of its brutal and indecent tendencies and who has given us in the vicar of wakefield one of the most enduring characters in english fiction in his manner especially in his poetry goldsmith was too much influenced by his friend johnson and the classicists but in his matter in his sympathy for nature and human life he belongs unmistakably to the new romantic school altogether he is the most versatile the most charming the most inconsistent and the most lovable genius of all the literary men who made famous the age of johnson life goldsmith's career is that of an irresponsible unbalanced genius which would make one despair if the man himself did not remain so lovable in all his inconsistencies he was born in the village of palace ireland the son of a poor irish curate whose noble character is portrayed in dr primrose of the vicar of wakefield and in the country parson of the deserted village after an unsatisfactory course in various schools where he was regarded as hopelessly stupid goldsmith entered trinity college dublin as a sizer i e a student who pays with labor for his tuition by his escapades he was brought into disfavor with the authorities but that troubled him little he was also wretchedly poor which troubled him less for when he earned a few shillings by writing ballads for street singers his money went oftener to idle beggars than to the paying of his honest debts after three years of university life he ran away in dime novel fashion and nearly starved to death before he was found and brought back in disgrace then he worked a little and obtained his degree in seventeen forty nine strange that such an idle and irresponsible youth should have been urged by his family to take holy orders but such was the fact for two years more goldsmith labored with theology only to be rejected when he presented himself as a candidate for the ministry he tried teaching and failed then his fancy turned to america and provided with money and a good horse he started off for cork where he was to embark for the new world he loafed along the pleasant irish ways missed his ship and presently turned up cheerfully amongst his relatives minus all his money and riding a sorry nag called fiddleback 
for which he had traded his own on the way note such is goldsmith's version of a somewhat suspicious adventure whose details are unknown End of note. he borrowed fifty pounds more and started for london to study law but speedily lost his money at cards and again appeared amiable and irresponsible as ever among his despairing relatives the next year they sent him to edinburgh to study medicine here for a couple of years he became popular as a singer of songs and a teller of tales to whom medicine was only a troublesome affliction suddenly the wanderlust seized him and he started abroad ostensibly to complete his medical education but in reality to wander like a cheerful beggar over europe singing and playing his flute for food and lodging he may have studied a little at leyden and at padua but that was only incidental after a year or more of vagabondage he returned to london with an alleged medical degree said to have been obtained at louvain or padua the next few years are a pitiful struggle to make a living as tutor apothecary's assistant comedian usher in a country school and finally as a physician in southwark gradually he drifted into literature and lived from hand to mouth by doing hack work for the london booksellers some of his essays and his citizen of the world seventeen sixty seventeen sixty one brought him to the attention of johnson who looked him up was attracted first by his poverty and then by his genius and presently declared him to be one of the first men we now have as an author johnson's friendship proved invaluable and presently goldsmith found himself a member of the exclusive literary club he promptly justified johnson's confidence by publishing the traveller seventeen sixty four which was hailed as one of the finest poems of the century money now came to him liberally with orders from the booksellers he took new quarters in fleet street and furnished them gorgeously but he had an inordinate vanity for bright colored clothes and faster than he earned money he spent it on velvet cloaks and in indiscriminate charity for a time he resumed his practice as a physician but his fine clothes did not bring patience as he expected and presently he turned to writing again to pay his debts to the booksellers he produced several superficial and grossly inaccurate school-books like his animated nature and his histories of england greece and rome which brought him bread and more fine clothes and his vicar of wakefield the deserted village and she stoops to conquer which brought him undying fame after meeting with johnson goldsmith became the object of boswell's magpie curiosity and to boswell's life of johnson we are indebted for many of the details of goldsmith's life his homeliness his awkward ways his drolleries and absurdities which made him alternately the butt and the wit of the famous literary club boswell disliked goldsmith and so draws an unflattering portrait but even this does not disguise the contagious good humor which made men love him when in his forty-seventh year he fell sick of a fever and with childish confidence turned to a quack medicine to cure himself 
he died in seventeen seventy four and johnson placed a tablet with a sonorous latin epitaph in westminster abbey though goldsmith was buried elsewhere let not his frailties be remembered he was a very great man said johnson and the literary world which like that old dictator is kind enough at heart though often rough in its methods is glad to accept and record the verdict works of goldsmith of goldsmith's early essays and his later school histories little need be said they have settled into their own place far out of sight of the ordinary reader perhaps the most interesting of these is a series of letters for the public ledger afterwards published as the citizen of the world written from the viewpoint of an alleged chinese traveller and giving the latter's comments on english civilization note goldsmith's idea which was borrowed from walpole reappears in the pseudo letters from a chinese official which recently attracted considerable attention End of note the following five works are those upon which goldsmith's fame chiefly rests the travellers seventeen sixty four made goldsmith's reputation among his contemporaries but is now seldom read except by students who would understand how goldsmith was at one time dominated by johnson and his pseudo-classic ideals it is a long poem in rhymed couplets giving a survey and criticism of the social life of various countries in europe and reflects many of goldsmith's own wanderings and impressions the deserted village the deserted village seventeen seventy though written in the same mechanical style is so permeated with honest human sympathy and voices so perfectly the revolt of the individual man against institutions that a multitude of common people heard it gladly without consulting the critics as to whether they should call it good poetry notwithstanding its faults to which matthew arnold has called sufficient attention it has become one of our best-known poems though we cannot help wishing that the monotony of its couplets had been broken by some of the irish folk-songs and ballads that charmed street audiences in dublin and that brought goldsmith a welcome from the french peasants wherever he stopped to sing in the village parson and the schoolmaster goldsmith has increased chaucer's list by two lovable characters that will endure as long as the english language the criticism that the picture of prosperous sweet auburn never applied to any village in ireland is just no doubt but it is outside the question goldsmith was a hopeless dreamer bound to see everything as he saw his debts and his gay clothes in a purely idealistic way the good-natured man and she stoops to conquer are goldsmith's two comedies the former a comedy of character though it has some laughable scenes and one laughable character croker met with failure on the stage and has never been revived with any success the latter a comedy of intrigue is one of the few plays that has never lost its popularity its lively bustling scenes and its pleasantly absurd characters marlowe the hardcastles and tony lumpkin still hold the attention of modern theatre-goers and nearly every amateur dramatic club sooner or later places she stoops to conquer on its list of attractions the vicar of wakefield 
the vicar of wakefield is goldsmith's only novel and the first in any language that gives to home life an enduring romantic interest however much we admire the beginnings of the english novel to which we shall presently refer we are nevertheless shocked by its frequent brutalities and indecencies goldsmith like steele had the irish reverence for pure womanhood and this reverence made him shun as a pest the vulgarity and coarseness in which contemporary novelists like smollett and sterne seemed to delight he did for the novel what addison and steele had done for the satire and the essay he refined and elevated it making it worthy of the old anglo-saxon ideals which are our best literary heritage briefly the vicar of wakefield is a story of a simple english clergyman dr primrose and his family who pass from happiness through great tribulation misfortunes which are said never to come singly appear in this case in flocks but through poverty sorrow imprisonment and the unspeakable loss of his daughters the vicar's faith in god and man emerges triumphant to the very end he is like one of the old martyrs who sings alleluia while the lions roar about him and his children in the arena goldsmith's optimism it must be confessed is here stretched to the breaking point the reader is sometimes offered fine johnsonian phrases where he would naturally expect homely and vigorous language and he is continually haunted by the suspicion that even in this best of all possible worlds the vicar's clouds of affliction were somewhat too easily converted into showers of blessing yet he is forced to read on and at the end he confesses gladly that goldsmith has succeeded in making a most interesting story out of material that in other hands would have developed either a burlesque or a brutal tragedy laying aside all romantic passion intrigue and adventure upon which other novelists depended goldsmith in this simple story of common life has accomplished three noteworthy results he has made human fatherhood almost a divine thing he has glorified the moral sentiments which cluster about the family life as the centre of civilization and he has given us in dr primrose a striking and enduring figure which seems more like a personal acquaintance than a character in a book william cowper seventeen thirty one eighteen hundred in cowper we have another interesting poet who like gray and goldsmith shows the struggle between romantic and classic ideals in his first volume of poems cowper is more hampered by literary fashions than was goldsmith in his traveller and his deserted village in his second period however cowper uses blank verse freely and his delight in nature and in homely characters like the teamster and the mail carrier of the task shows that his classicism is being rapidly thawed out by romantic feeling in his later work especially his immortal john gilpin cowper flings fashions aside gives pegasus the reins takes to the open road and so proves himself a worthy predecessor of burns who is the most spontaneous and the most interesting of all the early romanticists life cowper's life is a pathetic story of a shy and timid genius who found the world of men too rough and who withdrew to nature like a wounded animal he was born at great berkhamstead hertfordshire 
1731 the son of an english clergyman he was a delicate sensitive child whose early life was saddened by the death of his mother and by his neglect at home at six years he was sent away to a boys school where he was terrified by young barbarians who made his life miserable there was one atrocious bully into whose face cowper would never look he recognized his enemy by his shoe buckles and shivered at his approach the fierce invectives of his tirocinium or a review of schools seventeen eighty four shows how these school experiences had affected his mind and health for twelve years he studied law but at the approach of a public examination for an office he was so terrified that he attempted suicide the experience unsettled his reason and the next twelve months were spent in an asylum at st albans the death of his father in seventeen fifty six had brought the poet a small patrimony which placed him above the necessity of struggling like goldsmith for his daily bread upon his recovery he boarded for years at the house of the unwins cultured people who recognized the genius hidden in this shy and melancholy yet quaintly humorous man mrs unwin in particular cared for him as a son and whatever happiness he experienced in his poor life was the result of the devotion of this good woman who is the mary of all his poems a second attack of insanity was brought on by cowper's morbid interest in religion influenced perhaps by the untempered zeal of one john newton a curate with whom cowper worked in a small parish of olney and with whom he compiled the famous olney hymns the rest of his life between intervals of melancholia or insanity was spent in gardening in the care of his numerous pets and in writing his poems his translation of homer and his charming letters his two best-known poems were suggested by a lively and cultivated widow lady austin who told him the story of john gilpin and called for a ballad on the subject she also urged him to write a long poem in blank verse and when he demanded a subject she whimsically suggested the sofa which was a new article of furniture at that time cowper immediately wrote the sofa and influenced by the poetic possibilities that lie in unexpected places he added to this poem from time to time and called his completed work the task this was published in seventeen eighty five and the author was instantly recognized as one of the chief poets of his age the last years of his life were a long battle with insanity until death mercifully ended the struggle in eighteen hundred his last poem the castaway is a cry of despair in which under guise of a man washed overboard in a storm he describes himself perishing in the sight of friends who are powerless to help cowper's works cowper's first volume of poems containing the progress of error truth table talk etc is interesting chiefly as showing how the poet was bound by the classic rules of his age these poems are dreary on the whole but a certain gentleness 
and especially a vein of pure humor occasionally rewards the reader for cowper was a humorist and only the constant shadow of insanity kept him from becoming famous in that line alone the task the task written in blank verse and published in seventeen eighty five is cowper's longest poem used as we are to the natural poetry of wordsworth and tennyson it is hard for us to appreciate the striking originality of this work much of it is conventional and wooden to be sure like much of wordsworth's poetry but when after reading the rhymed essays and the artificial couplets of johnson's age we turn suddenly to cowper's description of homely scenes of woods and brooks of ploughmen and teamsters and the letter-carrier on his rounds we realize that we are at the dawn of a better day in poetry he comes the herald of a noisy world with spattered boots strapped waist and frozen locks news from all nations lumbering at his back true to his charge the close-packed load behind yet careless what he brings his one concern is to conduct it to the destined end and having dropped the expected bag pass on he whistles as he goes light-hearted wretch cold and yet cheerful messenger of grief perhaps to thousands and of joy to some to him indifferent whether grief or joy houses in ashes and the fall of stocks births deaths and marriages epistles wet with tears that trickled down the writer's cheeks fast as the periods from his fluent quill or charged with amorous sighs of absent swains or nymphs responsive equally affect his horse and him unconscious of them all miscellaneous works cowper's most laborious work the translation of homer in blank verse was published in seventeen ninety one its stately milton-like movement and its better rendering of the greek make this translation far superior to pope's artificial couplets it is also better in many respects than chapman's more famous and more fanciful rendering but for some reason it was not successful and has never received the recognition which it deserves entirely different in spirit are the poet's numerous hymns which were published in the olney collection in seventeen seventy nine and which are still used in our churches it is only necessary to mention a few first lines god moves in a mysterious way oh for a closer walk with god sometimes a light surprises to show how his gentle and devout spirit has left its impress upon thousands who now hardly know his name with cowper's charming letters published in eighteen o three we reach the end of his important works and the student who enjoys reading letters will find that these rank among the best of their kind it is not however for his ambitious works that cowper is remembered but rather for his minor poems which have found their own way into so many homes among these the one that brings quickest response from hearts that understand is his little poem on the receipt of my mother's picture beginning with the striking line oh that those lips had language another called alexander selkirk beginning i am monarch of all i survey 
suggests how selkirk's experiences as a castaway which gave defoe his inspiration for robinson crusoe affected the poet's timid nature and imagination last and most famous of all is his immortal john gilpin cowper was in a terrible fit of melancholy when lady austin told him the story which proved to be better than medicine for all night long chuckles and suppressed laughter were heard in the poet's bedroom next morning at breakfast he recited the ballad that had afforded its author so much delight in the making the student should read it even if he reads nothing else by cowper and he will be lacking in humor or appreciation if he is not ready to echo heartily the last stanza now let us sing long live the king and gilpin long live he and when he next doth ride abroad may i be there to see end of section thirty five